Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting live 
on uh, on the 
exact words people are saying. Uh, might be better just to focus on the fact that somebody's saying something to you uh, in a nice way with a smile on their face. All right. And uh, with that, I'll say again to you guys, uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year's. And uh, my best wishes go to everyone. I hope everyone is uh, everyone is is in the best place that they can be. I hope that uh, uh, Jimmy and his guys were able to get all of the uh, stuff shipped out for the Christmas for our troops and that those folks are receiving that now because that's a uh, we've talked about that many times before. I've talked to you guys about the fact that it's uh, it's very important for folks to get stuff, uh, you know, when they're overseas. And so I hope that uh, Jimmy and his crew was able to ship out a lot of uh, a lot of packages. <clears throat> Tonight we've got uh, John Hurt, who is the uh, founder and CEO of Tier Group, which is a uh, combat tracking school. He's going to come on. He's going to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about tracking. Uh, and while most folks may think that uh, that tracking is kind of an archaic skill, and uh, that they have, uh, I'm sure that uh, whenever somebody tells you or mentions tracking, uh, you think about things like uh, like the Lone Ranger and Tonto, and uh, and outlaws and cowboys and stuff like that. But the science of tracking is just as relevant today as it was a couple of hundred years ago. So we're going to be talking to you about about the science of tracking. Now, I've got a, uh, a notice uh, from, uh, I believe it's B-Swift uh, on the forum. And I want to uh, relay this out to everybody, and that is to make sure that uh, you are sending in, we need to get this done by the end of this month, by the 31st, that you're sending in the uh, uh, the numbers so that they can squash them uh, for the number of events held this year and the number of folks who attended and then an estimation uh, for the coming year, 2014, the number of events that are going to be put on the schedule for 2014, whether or not they're actually listed already or not, and then an estimation of the number of folks uh, that you believe will attend those events. Now, this is going to be – this is so that uh, the planning – the folks doing the planning will have uh, a better idea of how many folks uh, came through in the year 2013 and how many we're looking at getting to attend Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship events in the year 2014. And uh, it doesn't have to be, uh, uh, nothing has to be exactly precise, but you need to do as good a job as possible of listing the events that were held and the number of folks that attended for 2013 and then an estimation. Uh, certainly you list all of the events that are already listed, 
and then an estimation of any additional events that may be listed, and then an estimation of the number of folks <clears throat> uh, that you believe will be attending events in 2014. We've got uh, we got a lot of work to do because we are we're still pushing hard, still heading for that one millionth apple cedar to show up on an apple seed line. And that's going to be a fantastic day. And I'm hoping that uh, right around the same time we start getting some other uh, some other first in, maybe some uh, apple seed uh, uh, senators and congressmen. That would certainly work for us. So try and get these numbers together and get them into be swept on the forum uh, as soon as possible. Because we'd like to get this uh, all in, all the numbers in by the 31st. All right. Make sure that you're doing your best uh, job possible to get your 2014 events to get them all finished up and listed, uh, so that they can get on the books as soon as possible. And uh, and we will have a fantastic year. This last year was uh, was kind of a rough one because of the ammunition craziness. And uh, there's not much you can do about that. So hopefully this year, uh, it's already, uh, it's already, uh, ammunition is already showing up. It's getting easier to find, and the prices are still not uh, as great as I would like to see them. But ammunition is getting easier to find, so that's a good thing. And uh, and hopefully that will allow us to have uh, a little bit better room, a little bit better uh, chance of getting folks on the line this year. You know, last year when uh, when... 22 long rifle ammunition had uh, reached a crazy peak of $50 for a box of 50 22 long rifle shells. I mean, we knew that it was going to be rough. We knew it was going to be hard to get people out of line because okay, no one can afford that. You know, if we're shooting, uh, you know, 400 to 500 rounds on a weekend, uh, people are just no way that anyone is going to be able to afford to pay five hundred dollars for uh, for five hundred rounds of twenty two long rifle. <clears throat> but uh but the prices are going down and uh and hopefully that will allow our lines to fill out. Now, that's not gonna stop us from doing the things like the Liberty Seeds, all right? The uh Liberty Seeds and uh the uh, the library seeds should still be running uh, as, at high speed because that's our main job, right? And to get the information out to folks and let them know that it's the responsibility of every citizen to safeguard the freedoms and liberties that living in this nation affords them. Now, we can do that with a rifle, teaching them to shoot uh, just as easy as we can with uh, a basketball or a baseball or a knitting needle or anything else. It just so happens that uh, that a lot of folks 
uh, who are patriots also tend to be uh, firearms enthusiasts. And it's a lot more fun this way. But we can do it without any rifles or ammunition. Trying to get across is exactly what I said, and that is the responsibility to safeguard the freedoms and liberties of this nation is a responsibility of each and every individual. And it's a non-delegatable, open-ended obligation for each American citizen. <clears throat> so make sure that you're getting your your uh, library seeds and liberty seeds and getting them on the books and running them uh, as often as you can. And remember that we're not going to be able to do this alone. We're going to have to make uh, alliances. And I know you guys have heard me pound this into the dirt. But the only way we're going to make this work is working through alliances. To you, that uh, if you go up and you talk to the sons of the American Revolution or the daughters of the American Revolutionary War, these are these are organizations that are already entrenched in every major city in America. That they're going to allow you to come in and talk. They're going to allow you to come in and talk about the Appleseed uh, mission at their meetings. So make sure that you're you're getting involved with these other groups, and that you're making alliances in order for us to strengthen our position. All right. <clears throat> Uh, and you guys are welcome to call in at any time during the show if you want to uh, uh, ask any questions or make any comments. Our number is 347-308-8790. 347-308-8790. And I'm sure that... Uh, uh, I'm sure that uh, John will be glad to uh, to take any questions uh, that you guys have, and uh, I see that uh, I see that he is in the queue now. So, without further ado, I'd like to uh, welcome John Hurt, uh, founder and CEO of Tier Group LLC, to the show. John, welcome to the show this evening. Can you hear me, John? All right, now can you hear me? I got you. You got me? Yeah, welcome to the show. Sorry about that. The, That's okay. the controls here on the software are not as uh, they're not as friendly as I would like them to be. Well, John, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to come on to the show the day after Christmas. I hope you had a, uh, a Merry Christmas. I did. Uh, I hope you, had, you did as well. Yeah, we had... Uh, we had a nice big, nice big Christmas day here, and we had the uh, we had the grandma here too. So she was uh, she was helping with uh, with Christmas. Everything went everything went well. The only thing we were missing was some bio rum. Yeah, well, we've got some of that coming. <laughs> All right, well, guys, uh, John Hurt, as I said, is uh, founder of the. Uh, Tier Group uh, LLC in Louisiana, and uh, and I'm going to let him give you a little bit of uh, background and uh, tell us a little bit 
about himself and how how you ended up uh, as the uh, owner and uh, chief executive officer officer at Cure Group. Give us just a little bit of history about yourself, John. Well, uh, I kind of grew up in a rural part of Illinois, south of uh, Chicago, a place called Woodridge, and uh, I've always loved being in the woods. Uh, and um, after, after high school, I joined the military, and it was uh, pretty much in the military where I kind of got tuned on to uh, tracking. Um, my uh, first squad leader, well, First, I, I went in the Army in 1985 as an infantryman, and uh, I got stationed over in Germany in my first tour. And the, uh, my squad leader happened to be a Vietnam veteran who uh, had served over in Vietnam in 9th ID as a combat tracker, and he kind of passed on some of his knowledge onto his squad. And I was some, I've, ever since then, I've, I've kind of just got the fever, and... Uh, and it carried me throughout my military career, throughout 13 years as being an infantryman, uh, and then 10 years in special forces. And I've used it all over the world. And uh, I think it's been a real game changer, um, not only as far as you know tracking my enemies down, but also as far as just developing patterns of life um, of uh, the local civilians, the uh, the insurgents. So it's it's. It's really fascinating. Well, in the beginning, and of course, I'll joke with you, and I'll, I'll make sure that uh, I that uh, I give everybody the warning, give you the warning that uh, that uh, as you're telling us about this history, that that you don't tell us anything that would force you to kill us afterwards. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, what happened was, uh, you know. I, I continued on through my tracking um, throughout throughout the military. I got out. I retired. And uh, I went to work with a TTOS that had a contract down at the uh, at Fort Huachuca, and I headed up the program there at the Combat Tracker School in Fort Huachuca. So I did that for a little while, and then after that, the contract went away, and so I pretty much came back home and decided to start up my own company, and that's where I am today. And besides, How did you end up in Louisiana, uh, Illinois? Say again? How did you end up uh, down in Louisiana if you started off in Illinois? Oh, well, I, I retired here. Um, I retired out of Fort Polk. There's a special operations training detachment there. And, uh, oh, right. Okay. I, and I, and, yeah, and I, I, I really like... Uh, I really like the area. My wife is from here. She's a Cajun girl. So, um, you know, I, I really like being down here. It's, they're great people. So, Man. Well, you know, I, I've been to Fort Polk, and actually I spent uh, uh, a couple of weeks there training at one point, and I was, I got to tell you, I, I'm from the south. I'm from Texas, and it's, you know, we're on the same, we're on the same latitude and everything, but I swear there is something different about the heat in Louisiana because I remember at one point going in, going into one of the in the towns there and thinking, why do you? I asked the guy at the town, I said, why do you even live here? Why would you even live in a place like this? You know that uh, 
it's so hot. And he said, well, you know, we really don't go outside too much. We stay in the air conditioned. But, uh, you know, at the beginning, I don't think that you heard me, but at the beginning I was telling folks that uh, most of the time when folks hear about, uh, if they hear about tracking, it brings to mind things like, uh, you know, Tonto and the Lone Ranger or, you know, some uh, some archaic uh, kind of situation, you know, where uh, Kimo Sabi, uh, you know, one one man, one horse this way, and yeah. uh, and people don't don't think of it as being a skill that uh, is even in use today, but uh, that's far from uh, the truth, right? Oh yeah, I mean it, it is being used today. I mean there's there's plenty of agencies that that use it. Private citizens use it. Uh, it's just they're used. It's used in a different way than uh, what I've written about. Um, you know, I'm not really. I really look at tracking as more of a. It's it's a skill of forensics. It's kind of like there's physical evidence that's actually there. You can't. You know, you, you're not going to listen to the wind blow. They're not going to exactly tell you. You know. Uh, where your enemy went off to, or you're, you're not going to talk to some wolf or some coyote or something like that. It's not like that, you know. Uh, yeah, it's just you know all those things are that mystical stuff is is a uh, you know a bunch of hoo ha, but um, it it is being employed today. The military, in some small, in some small ways, the military is using it, but not in the way that I described in the book. Um, the way that they can use it, they could use it in offensive operations, doing movement to contacts, pursuits, exploitations, or even reconnaissance missions where they're actually trying to locate the enemy or develop enemy patterns of life or even civilian patterns of life. And by civilian patterns of life, I mean, you know, villages or communities that may be aiding or abetting an insurgent, uh, insurgent force. Uh, search operations that recover missing or lost personnel. Um, and even what, really where they're using it is more in, in ground sign awareness, so most, more, more than anything. And when I say ground sign awareness, I mean something that is more like in the counter IED, counter booby trap type of, type of mode. They're not really using it to pursue an enemy. Um, right. Right. So, and I, and I've talked to you about this and I talked to some other folks, uh, uh, around the the neighborhood about it, and I've always thought that this was just a horrible, a terrible waste of uh, of a uh, of a fantastic skill uh, because it seems to me like right now that you know at least, and of course I'm not over there. I haven't been to Iraq or Afghanistan. Guys, also let me mention too that I put into the uh, the show notes that uh, that John had was uh, uh, on a deployment to Iraq, but he wasn't. That was just that was my mistake. I was looking at a picture of John in the desert, and I said, "Well, that must be Iraq." Uh, but uh, but you have been on deployment to Afghanistan. Yeah, but, yeah, I've, I've been over to Afghanistan. But, uh, okay, uh, but uh, I've spoken to folks that have been there, and then, of course, you know, you have the, the wonderful uh, combat on TV, and mm-hmm. I've always been amazed that that here you have these folks, they're taking uh, shots at the uh, convoys and columns and stuff like that, 
And these guys stop, and they they fire off, and they even say it right then, right right in the open. There, they said, "Well, we're just going to shoot blind out there, and then uh, and then we're going to call in some artillery, and then we're going to just move on." And I believe right. I even saw one episode where the folks said they 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 were eager, they wanted to go out and do a, a BDA to, uh, to do a bomb damage assessment and see if they had actually gotten anybody, and they were ordered not to. So they returned right. to the column and said, keep on tracking on. And I mm-hmm. thought, are you kidding me? Is that it? Because what did that do? And the only right. thing I can imagine that did was it was a great training op for the insurgents. Uh, yeah. You know, it would seem to me like if you had the opportunity, if, you, if, the, if the enemy knew that any time they ever did anything, that we were going to latch onto them like a pit bull. We were going to track them down to ground. That uh, it would put a real, it would put a force, real change of their uh, their operating procedures. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's the whole idea. Uh, in my book, I kind of describe some of that in the beginning. I try to I, I give a little bit of a story, and uh, just to to prove how well this could come together. And it, it has been done in history. It has been done before. We've used, this, we've used these same techniques over in Vietnam. Uh, so it's not anything new. It just seems that I think for our military, we've become over-reliant on technology. We've become overburdened with a lot of equipment and a lot of body armor. So we've lost mobility in some sense. And on the other, in the other case is that it's really disheartening to be IED'd or to come into contact and then all of a sudden be told to move off and not to go after them. Right. And, Santa, and the reality is is that these guys don't go very far after a contact has occurred. They're local. Well, that's what I was thinking, because how are they going to – I mean, you're not talking about uh, folks that are going to get on a Greyhound or get on an airplane and go somewhere. They're going to they're gonna be there. They're living there. They're going to be there, and right. they're going to do it again next week. So That's right. Unless you stop them, they're going to do it again next week. So it would seem to exactly. me that it would be a lot more, a lot more, uh, you know, uh, in our, uh, a lot more in our favor if we were to expend the the time and the energy on each one of these folks instead of, like you said, instead of the relying on uh, electronic uh, intelligence gathering, if we moved a little bit farther down back down the line to human intelligence gathering that we might be in a little bit better shape. And, and you know, that's, and you're right. That's, that's exactly what, I mean, what, what tracking does is a vehicle. It's a vehicle to one, either pursue your, your enemy, hunt them down relentlessly. Uh, and, and the fact that you actually, you kill or capture them. If you don't kill or capture them, um, you know, you can still gather information about their whereabouts, how they're moving through the area, and even develop uh, certain patterns of life of villages who may be providing them aid. Um, but the big, the big thing is the PSYOPs campaign, the information operations that occurs once you do take them down. Because once you do, then most of these guys will lose, lose the stomach for staying in the fight. Most of these guys are, are not necessarily hardliners, but... You know, there's a village idiot who gets paid to go back out there and do something against us. These guys have families. They want to put, you know, food on the table. They're poor. And so they, they take the money and then go, you know, throw out an ID or shoot at our troops. Uh, tracking, on the other hand, you know, if, 
if you kill a bunch of them or you you capture a bunch of them, um, you know, the word gets out. These guys won't be out, you know, laying out mines or IEDs or, or ambushing our soldiers. So, yeah, it's, it's an opportunity loss. That's definitely the that's definitely how I see it. And is, is the military currently running uh, any more tracking schools or anything? No. Nope. You know, we got to really, our military has a, it has a bizarre way of looking at things a lot of times. You know, we, they went oh, yeah. through World War II, and then they decided, uh, you know, at the end of World War II, they said, ah, you know, that uh, those special operations troops, those special forces troops, they did a really great job. They hit, they they did everything they were supposed to be. They you know they did a great job. So here's our recommendation: let's close down all these special ops training facilities because uh, we don't need them anymore. And uh, yeah. and they closed them down. Uh, and then every time something happens, they had to start it back up. Now now of course uh, we're on the other side of that. We're finally. You know, after 50 years, they decided, well, let's let's go ahead and keep some of these schools open and keep running them. But uh, you would think that, uh, and, and I'm sure that uh, that somewhere there's somebody with a pencil and a paper and a calculator that's uh, you know making these decisions, saying, well, you know, it's cheaper for us to do it this way or cheaper for us to do it this way. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, it just seems to, to me to be a no-brainer that that if you could, if you can train a group of folks, and it doesn't have to be that many folks, but if you train a group of folks to be a, a good, solid tracking unit, and they were able to to track down uh, just even just one insurgent that was in the, in the course of his lifetime or that was going to... Uh, uh, destroy seven or eight vehicles. That's got to be over a million dollars there, and injure or kill uh, a dozen American soldiers. There's another couple of million right there that uh, that they could quickly find the justification for spending the money on training and for altering, uh, you know, some of our strategies in this. Right. I, I think it's this is this is kind of my opinion from being in the military for 23 years. It's, it's like a vicious cycle. Um, to make up for what training doesn't give you, they, they um, invest in technology that can't give you what the human can give you on the ground. To me, the best, the best computer system that we have is our brain. And the, what a human can take in is a heck of a lot better than any piece of equipment they, or ground sensor or dog or anything else you have out there. Um, there's, it's just... I don't. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, well, like I said, I think it's a lost opportunity. Right, and I know from uh, from now, my I can tell you this. I, I can tell you this. The law enforcement on the law enforcement side, they do use tracking a little bit, a little bit better, um, and they do have uh, like Bortac has schools. Um, you know, there's several tracking schools that are in the law enforcement federal law enforcement community. And uh, and they do well, you know, in, in using it to pursue dangerous criminals, crime scene investigation, uh, searching for missing individuals, or even conducting uh, anti-poaching type operations. So, or even counter narcotics, right. where they're, you know. Well, I know too from being from my experience in the military that uh, that folks that were in 
the more specialized the unit that you're in, the greater mm-hmm. the odds that you are going to stay in the military and not ETS, not separate. So you would think that uh, you know that they would want to keep skilled folks, and by by setting up more specialized uh, units, that uh, they would be able to retain folks with these skills longer. But but I'm just a nobody, so. Well, you, I mean, it's, it's no different than like our sniper school. We didn't we didn't activate a sniper school in the army till late '80s. Right. A permanent, you know, a permanent school. So this is this is really on par with something like that. And really, what people don't realize is, you know, in the past there used to be three types of patrolling. There was combat reconnaissance and tracking. And in the course of since 1973 up until now, the tracking one has been kind of kind of just fading away. So now they only have two that they place in their manuals. And that's just because they have no one to teach the third one. And really, if you look at tracking, it's, it's basically an advanced form of patrolling. And the, and the, the, uh, the combat situations that we find are, that America is finding itself in more and more is certainly not, uh, it's not, it's not the mass combat of Korea uh, or World War II, we're, we're working, uh, since the 60s, we've been working uh, almost uh, 100% with insurgency-type operations. And that's exactly mm-hmm. where this uh, where this skill uh, was made to work for. So you'd think that they would, you would think that they would, uh, that they would latch onto that. But like you said, you know the with the sniper school and stuff that they didn't uh, they didn't uh, relight that one until the 80s, and I think it's been proven. I think that the the value of a uh, of a military uh, combat sniper is uh, is immense as long as they as long as the persons that are uh, that are uh, dictating their missions that they're using them appropriately. That uh, sure. that the value of a combat sniper is tremendous. Yeah, it's a definitely a, it's a definite uh, you know uh, it, it's a game changer. You know, it really is. I mean, it's a it's a force enhancer. So I mean, you know, why wouldn't you you use it? You know, I get I get a lot of CAD scouts who talk to, to me about tracking. They're trying to they have been trying to get it you know into their school system. I don't think they're ever going to get it. I don't think the you know, I don't think the people up above really understand it, but uh, that, and that's really a reason why I wrote that book too, because it, it the book takes it, you in from an individual level to a team level to collective team level to an operational level. So someone who reads the book hopefully can gather that hey, there's a bigger picture to this whole thing than just a bunch of guys following footprints on the ground, because that's not what a tracker is. You know, right, and what, uh, what John was talking about, he, he's got a like book that, that he uh, wrote called The Combat Tracking Guide, and uh, you can get it by going to the website at www.tyrgroupllc.com, tyrllc.com. You can order the book right straight there from him, and uh, the book is uh, is a tremendous uh, resource for folks that are interested in tracking and 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 going back to the root of tracking there 
there there are two main ways of tracking uh, of tracking a human, right? Well, yeah. Well, in a sense, there's actually three. There's a uh, you have scent tracking, you have visual tracking, and then you have technical tracking. So okay. when it comes to tracking humans in my book, I I talk mainly about scent tracking and visual tracking, more so on the visual tracking side. But uh, yeah, those are you know three pretty much three main ways that you can track a person. Scent tracking, right? Scent tracking is kind of a little bit beyond our capabilities in most cases, unless somebody just splashed on some oh. aqua velva or something. We're going to be hard put by scent, so as a human, we're going to have to go through visual tracking. Right. We 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 actually we do use all of our senses, but the main the main one that we do use is visual tracking. So, um, and you know, within uh, within that, there's different types of trackers too. There's there's you know there's there's the simple tracker who can just follow footprints. And the, usually through very good terrain, easy terrain, snow, sand, stuff like that. Uh, people who use a systematic type of tracking where they have a step process, um, but they gather information about the sign uh, and uh, be able to come up with some sort of a detailed uh, theory about the quarry that they're following. Or a speculative tracking method, which is basically a theory and then looking at terrain, looking at the behavior of the quarry, being able to jump ahead. And really for combat tracking, we do kind of all of that. So, uh, but in most societies, that's what, how you see those. You see those three levels of tracking. Um, and, and those aren't, I didn't come up with that. That actually comes from a guy called uh, Louis Liebenberg, and he's a tracker out of South Africa. He works with indigenous populations. But, uh, and his stuff is pretty interesting as well. Right now, he was running. He was he was running tracking teams during the insurgencies of Rhodesia in, in Zimbabwe, right? No, actually, he's a he's a scientist. He he's a, he tracks migratory patterns of animals of different species, working with tribesmen in South Africa. Um, now he does he does work with law enforcement a little bit, but he has his own. Uh, program called Cyber Tracker, where he uses like PDAs to um, chart wildlife and and you know where they're going and what they're doing and everything else. And he has tribesmen actually pulling data off of their and or adding data into the PDA using the Cyber Tracker program. All wow! Tracking, so, tracking skills along with the uh, along with the PDA. So even tracking has gone high tech. Uh, in some ways, I mean, you can, you, you know, there's there's things you can add to it, I mean, to enhance the capability, but, I mean, really what it comes down to is still the guy on the ground. He's the guy who's interpreting the track line, seeing where it's going, what, what the guy's doing, reading the, the marks on the ground, and then developing a track picture as to what this guy is, is up to, where he's going, what he's doing. Uh, no piece of machinery can tell you that. So... And it even goes a little bit further than that because that guy is, you know, he's basically coming up with a story of his quarry, starting from the start point all the way to the end, you know, and uh, and sometimes he doesn't get them. But, you know, he's got enough data that, you know, when the guy goes out there on another day and screws up, that maybe he can get them that day. 
So, I mean, he's constantly building a profile of the person that he's following. Okay. And the... Uh, who was I thinking of? Uh, Alan Savory. Now, he oh, yeah. was with mm-hmm. the Rhodesian Army. Uh, he kind of started the whole... Tra- he started the whole tracking program during the Rhodesian War. In fact, he lives right here in the United States. Well, he's here now, right? Right, yeah. Okay, now, uh, for for folks that would want to get into tracking or even taking a tracking course from uh, from Cheer Group, and uh, and say they're not interested in, in tracking humans at all. They, they just want to track just animals. But the process... And the skill sets are still the same, right? Yeah, the basics that you learn, like I do, I run a two-day class for guys that are interested in just, you know, using tracking for whatever purposes they need. You got to use a human because, you know, it's um, it's a controlled environment. But after that, it's all it's pretty much all the same. You're still trying to develop patterns of life for whatever animal that you're trying to research or follow or whatever, or hunt for that matter. So, I mean, it's all the systems are all this, are the same systems, the basic tracking type of systems that you use. But just after you get to a certain point, you know, either you're, you're going to take it to the tactical level, which is a higher level, you're employing a lot more different things than somebody who's going out there to take pictures of wildlife. So. Right, right, but and and in each case, you are using the the physical sign that's left behind to mm-hmm. help you build a picture, a three D picture of your quarry, depending uh, on what your quarry is. That you'll you'll probably have to stop at some level. I mean, obviously, uh, a deer or a feral hog. Uh, doesn't have uh, doesn't have higher intentions, uh, you know, of any type of strategic goals or anything that they're trying to uh, uh, that they're trying to achieve. They're just trying to go to water or food or get away from you right. or something like that. Whereas with a human, you're trying to build a uh, a much more complicated, much more intricate picture of your quarry of what your what your quarry who they are uh what kind of physical shape they're in what intentions yeah. they have and stuff like that mm-hmm. yeah most definitely well, i mean no go ahead well uh, i'm sorry go ahead i mean yeah i mean when i was down in arizona and teaching at the school there were times that um you come across uh the illegals coming across the border. And just by looking at their sign, you could see uh, whether they were bringing drugs across or if it was just people trying to get to a better way of life. Um, You know, guys who made it, you know, typically go back and forth across the border. They have heavier lug boots, obviously because that's their business. Um, At rest stops, you can tell, you know, who's in charge of the group. You can charge figure out who's in the front, who's in the rear, if there's kids in, in the group, if there's old, elderly people in the group. Um, I, I've seen plenty of things where, you know, they had 
the uh, immigrants had taken a rest, uh, pulled off two children, you know, basically knelt down in front of them, um, rearranged probably either a backpack or maybe they put a coat on them. Then they got back in their into their group and then continued to to move forward, you know, to where whatever destination they were going. So I mean, there's a lot of things you can you can pick up along the way. Um, one thing right. that we used to see on the on the border as well is. Uh, just the stuff that they would carry before they got to their destination and, and change clothes, you know, whether it was male, female, or uh, someone who was a child or, or somewhat older, just by the stuff that they carried in their backpack because they would abandon that backpack. So, Right. They, well, they would abandon that backpack if they were just regular illegals, but... Right. If, if they, they if they were carrying some stuff. extra forty pounds that they didn't abandon, then that kind of gave you right. an idea of who that of what that particular individual was carrying, right? Oh yeah, I mean, and the other thing is too is just looking at the terrain that they move through. Are they using masking terrain? You know, if there's if, typically if you saw a trail where there were six to eight guys going down, that's not that's not typically what you see for a group of illegals. You know, that those are guys who are transporting narcotics of some type or whatever. If you saw a group where you had anywhere between 10, 15 people or more, you could, that, I mean, that's, you know, that's just people coming in to try to get work or whatever. I mean, it's just it's interesting because, like I said, the types of terrains that, that they move through would be totally different too because they might send the, uh, they might send the illegals in one direction, the, the narcotics coming in another direction, but – you know, they'd send the illegals out in front of them to basically get caught. If, if anybody was going to get caught, those guys would get caught. And the narcotics would come in behind them a different route, a little bit more covered and concealed. Right. Right. And whenever you're looking at at tracks, the other thing is I'm, I'm sure that people a lot of times, they, when they're thinking about tracking, in, in their mind, the only thing that they're seeing is uh, – like footprints. That's all they're thinking about. Well, here's some footprints. Yeah. We're gonna follow the footprints. But there mm-hmm. is there is a ton uh, of there's a ton of uh, different indicators that can tell you right. if somebody's passing by or not, even without seeing the footprints. Right? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, you might. Most of the times, you don't get. At least in, in the area that I work, you don't get a lot of regular nice footprints, where you see the whole regularity of that print, the tread pattern, the outline of the foot, or anything like that. Um, but you do get a lot of ground sign. Ground sign is, is typically considered anything that is uh, any sign that's um, ankle and below. So it could be broken twig, twigs, uh, turned over grass, turned over leaves, broken cobwebs, stones turned over, um, you know, disturbance within in dirt, uh, things of that nature. You could have aerial sign, which is everything that is ankle and higher, where if they're going through a thicket, you might have, again, branches that are bent in a certain direction, which are, which way they're going, uh, vines that are pushed in the direction that they're going. Um, you could have uh, broken cobwebs again, tall grass bent down. Um, there's uh, blood evidence different types of blood, uh, depending on there's, if there's an injury, could tell you what kind of injury it is, where it's at, depending on where it, where it is, either high or low. 
um, bodily discharge, urine, feces, things of that nature, vomit, um, oral ejecta, can tell you a lot of different things. Even feces can tell you whether the guy is from, you know, the area or outside of the area, whether he's healthy, whether he's sick. Uh, urine telling you whether he's, uh, you know, a same thing, whether he's uh, hydrated or dehydrated, whether he's male or female, depending on, on where he takes his, you know, where he particularly takes his uh, redefication. Right, where the, where the feet were and where the, where the urine uh, location was. Sure, I mean, and, and it can tell you nationality as well. I mean, like when I was over in Afghanistan, the men squatted. But when they squat, they would, the force of the urine would, you know, is different than a female. And then they, right. they used, like, you know, some type of, uh, like, toilet paper to wipe themselves, and, and then they'd leave it behind. But, uh, and then, of course, there's litter, you know, that... that whether it's intentional or unintentional, could be candy wrappers, could be food items, could be water bottles, uh, cigarettes, dip, whatever. Um, animal sign, which, you know, if I throw animal in there because uh, it, it can contaminate if I'm, can't contaminate areas if I'm tracking a human. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's something I want to be aware of. Um, booby trap and IED indicators as well. So there's, there's a lot of different things. Uh, and it doesn't have to just be visual either. It can be auditory uh, sounds, metal on metal clanging, um, the sounds of people moving through heavy brush. Um, it can be people moving through, you can hear the splashing of people moving through streams, uh, people talking, um, and also olfactory, which is the sense of smell, you know, cooking fires, things of that nature. Um, also when it comes down to some of these things like some of the animal signs you could even see uh, you know whether the sound of typical some some animal life either is present or not present even in an area to tell you whether or not somebody's moved through that area along with the other types of indicators all put together you know I mean that's the other thing you have to look at the whole big picture it's not just one thing or the other you're basically taking everything that you've seen at that point and then coming up with a hypothesis of, of where this guy's going. So Right. Right. Along with like you were saying earlier, is your you should be able to start rapidly building a picture, uh, looking mm-hmm. at the sign. And like you said, if there's if somebody is if they're not trying to take advantage of uh, uh of any masking terrain or features, uh or if the uh, if the way that they're the way that they're walking, because it, when somebody is is trying to to make sure that they're not discovered, there's a there's a typically a furtive style of walking that you use, as opposed to somebody that's just saying, "Man, I'm beat. I'm tired. I don't care if I get caught or if I don't. I just want to get to mm-hmm. somewhere that has some water." There are two different styles of walking, which means. You would have you start you can start looking and saying well if this person is trying to mask themselves then there's got to be a reason for it and and you apply that to to see if they if they are carrying weight or to to see when they take a rest if they put down uh, something that they put down right like if they put their pack down and it's just a big square soft you know bundle. Uh, <coughs> 
And in your well, book, I mean, of course, you've got a whole section that's detailed to what the the sign that a rifle butt makes, the different types of rifle butts that they make. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's all that stuff. I mean, all these things can tell us something about somebody. You know, whether, again, just like when people rest, that's when you start learning more about the subject that you're following. Uh, when they put things down, whether they're, you know, they have a backpack, you get a lot of flattening. Uh, if they're resting, if they're actually like, if, if they're tactically switched on and they're in the prone, they get they get bored. They, so they start playing with the grass. They start playing with the dirt, flipping over rocks and stuff like that. Uh, they, there's a big flattening area that you can see, you know, uh, their, their torso and their legs, uh, elbow digs inside the ground. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can see. You know, and it's not just about people either. It could be vehicles, you know, just by tire tread evidence. There's a lot of different things you can you can you can determine from tracking. Well, you know, it's just the, the art the, of observation. The other day, uh, I say the other day. It's been several months now, but I, I ordered your book and I got the book and I was reading it, and you know, I didn't even really think about that much about vehicle until I read the book. Now I've seen it before. I've seen that you know. The uh, uh, like the forensic files and stuff like that. Folks taking pictures of the tread patterns, you know, of the the vehicles at their murder site and stuff like that. But I didn't think about it. I still didn't think about it that much. But then I got your book and I was reading it and uh, was going through the the vehicle uh, tread pattern types and stuff like that. Then I started paying a lot more attention to it and uh, and I was actually able to tell uh, by looking at Treads, uh, the uh, tread tracks left in my driveway one day. To, uh, I went over to my friend's house uh, a couple of days later, and I started looking at the different vehicles, you know, uh, that I saw, and then matched up the tread pattern that I saw in my driveway with uh, with a vehicle there. And I asked him, I said, "Were you in my house uh, two days ago?" And he goes, "Yeah, how'd you know?" Because mm-hmm. I looked, I saw this trip out of there. Oh yeah. So, so it, it you you the the ability to start looking at sign and start uh, and start being aware is uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that you could be looking at and seeing. In addition, you know when people look at the tracks that you see on the ground. The same thing that, uh, like I was talking about with the forensics thing, uh, you can look at a, uh, a lot of times, I mean, you could look at a really good impression of a shoe, and that would be no different than a fingerprint, right? I mean, because I was looking at my shoe, and I could tell my shoe, because I've got some, uh, some, some burn patterns that are burned into the bottoms of my shoes that I've burned into them from welding, so my shoe, if I left it somewhere, if there's no other shoe that looks like this one. I mean, it's guaranteed that that was my shoe. Well, that's a, that's a thing. We all we all walk differently. We have different gait patterns. So even if even if if the subject has uh, a different type of sole pattern, I mean that's one thing. Obviously, you have a sole pattern that distinguishes him, him from somebody else. It could be the length, the width. Uh, and other measurements included in that that could give you a, a clue as to who you're following as well. But the wear patterns, because everybody walks differently, the wear patterns that are going to show up 
uh, on an impression are going to be different for that individual compared to somebody else. So even if people are wearing the same type of boot print, you're going to have some differences. You're going to have size differences. You're going to have wear pattern differences. Um, so there's there's a lot of things you can distinguish just from even just a, a tread pattern from uh, you know from a footwear. But the same thing goes for right. for tire tire tread evidence as well. It's the same thing. And folks may not think about this either, but you know when they I'm sure when they think about tracking, uh, at least for me, uh, you know when I was thinking about tracking and stuff like that. You think about tracking, and in your mind, you're you're thinking about only in the woods, and only, you know, uh, only in the woods or the mountains, or out rurally, or you know, somewhere uh, where there's where nobody lives and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But you could actually, if the circumstances were fairly decent, you could actually track people in a city, right? Uh, you can uh, if the conditions are right. I mean, you're you're talking about um, where you have significant track traps, uh, areas that will hold an impression when somebody moves through that area. Um, but it, it's difficult. You're not going to see, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to track somebody over a long period of distance in an urban dwelling like New York City. Right, but right. But you could, someplace, yeah, because it's, it's too much concrete. But you could right. track somebody in uh like say in a suburban environment, somebody broke into a house or something, and and you could follow them, uh, you know, across the yard and and maybe uh, like from the examples in your book, some of the you can see that there are places where dirt and sand and stuff has piled up a bit uh, right. up against the edge yeah. of the road or been left there right. by by floodwaters and stuff, and you could catch a track in that. Right. I mean, if you and were using, if you I mean, had the skills and you were using it, you could try and follow somebody in an urban environment. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You could, you could, maybe for short distances, or you can even look at it as far as, say, you're getting sniper contact from a, you know, from a deserted building that's, you know, basically in ruin. Uh, you're going to have dust. You're going to have dirt. You're going to have all kinds of things in there. So I mean, if if you start looking and you find the position that this guy, you know, actually was firing from, and then maybe you could follow him out to probably where his next site was, you know. But you're, you are building a pattern. And then not only that, but you're typically in an, in an urban environment where you can do some tracking. Your track traps are much further away. So it's, it's a little bit more aggressive, and basically you're moving from track trap to track trap. Uh, but it right. can be done if, if conditions are right. Um, you know, up here in, in Lafayette, Louisiana, you're not going to get it uh, unless you go into some areas that you have some uh, culverts or, uh, you know, you have a, a bunch of dirt or something that can grab that track around those buildings. But concrete, right? Yeah, you're not, you're not. It's not going to happen. You know, uh, right. there are some instances where you can pick up like because people don't even realize it, but they walk through a parking lot and there's oil in the parking lot, you know. That's what I was going to say. Dropped from vehicles. And I actually did. I actually, you know, picked up a guy. I picked up uh, just a couple of prints that were superimposed from where the vehicle had obviously been dripping oil. And the guy had walked through it and walked onto a uh, parking um, block. That oil 
superimpose a couple of lugs from that the bottom of the guy's shoe. So I knew he had gone into that store. So after that, it was just a matter of asking some questions and finding out direction that, that the guy went off in. But, I mean, it can be done, you know. Right, it's just, and it's not going to be. And you might not be able to to like track it. them all the way across the town, but if you if you have these skills and you work with them and you try to develop them, it, it can certainly it, it could certainly help you out in cases like this. Like you said, the the there's there's a lot of stuff that you could step in. There's the there's the oil. You step in it and you, and you at least get uh, you know a partial print or something so that you you at least know, okay, look, I don't know exactly where this guy went, but I know I've got a good idea of the kind of shoes he's wearing. So even if I can't follow him, if I can happen to see those shoes somewhere, or if I can see another print made by those, then i got a good idea that's going to be the guy. Or the same thing with a tire track. Like you said, if the, if the, uh, if the vehicle is dripping uh, some oil, and you know exactly if you if you can see where the vehicle is parked, you can see that the oil is dripping up in the very front, uh, you know, on the driver's side, right beside the front tire. Then you know that uh, that that if you can find the vehicle that is dripping uh, in that exact same place, and there's a good chance that 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 is, that might be your quarry vehicle, or if the if the car backs up and cuts the wheels and runs through its own oil and leaves a tread impression, uh, you know everything. Everything that that uh, the humans or the vehicles do, everything leaves some type of sign or some type of uh, of something. Now, whether or not you can see it or you know or recognize it, that's that's a good question. But if you can teach yourself to start looking for it, then this is a really big. Uh, a really big plus as far as your skill sets. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I mean, I've had guys who, uh, and I've had guys who have used this in different, different ways. Um, one guy contacted me after he had taken the course, probably about six months afterwards. Um, he wasn't in the service or anything like that. Just a, you know, re- regular Joe, uh, lived out in the country. And, uh, one day he, he came, he came out of his house and uh, found some vehicle tracks uh, just off to the side of his driveway that weren't of his vehicle. And then he uh, he saw a bunch of cigarette butts. The cigarette butts had uh, – he doesn't smoke, so obviously it was somebody else. And uh, he came to the conclusion that somebody was most likely canvassing his house to, for a robbery. Um, ah. which, you know, which started, you know, making him do things to, uh, you know, to prevent that as well. And and the guy, the funny thing was, is he was like, hey, I was even inside the house and I didn't even see him out there. So, uh, you know, that was that was one thing that, you know, he relayed to me that, you know, uh, basically he took, you know, security precautions to keep from uh, getting burglarized. Now, I've had another guy who was uh, – down in some property in Texas, in his parents' property, and uh, they were just walking along the fence line, found tracks that jumped the fence line, and then later found a, a hide where the guy had been poaching on their property. So, you know, and then they were able to follow the tracks, destroy the, 
the hide and everything else, and then figured out who was who was actually coming on their property and and uh, and hunting their animals. So, yeah, I mean, it it can be used for a bunch of different things. It's it's not just a combat skill. It can be just something for awareness for your own security or home security. Right, and that's something that I was going to that I wanted to mention, which is a lot of the folks that listen to the show. You know, they are there are folks who have uh, who have decided to devote uh, uh, you know a good amount of their pocketbooks and their time to developing skills, which may come in handy later uh, in say grid down situations. And certainly, uh, it would seem to me that this would be one of the skills that that could definitely benefit you uh, in a in a grid down situation. And that's something that uh, that's having the skills to uh, to see uh, who is who is walking around, uh, what they're doing. You know, with like you said, if somebody's if there are tracks that are moving past where you are, and you can follow the tracks, and you see those tracks stop, and you see that somebody stopped and they got down behind some cover and they sat there for two or three hours uh, watching you, then that's definitely going to give you uh, uh, information that you wouldn't have had before, especially if you didn't see them doing it. I mean, this is. Uh, this is certainly a skill that I think that uh, would be extremely beneficial to any of the folks that uh, are moving into the prepping mindset, to the prepping skills. Oh yeah, it's 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 just another self-reliance skill. I mean, it, you know, I mean, and, and the thing is, is okay. Let's let's just get off the military thing or the law enforcement. Let's think about, uh, you know, just the security of your home. You know, whether you know it or not, you probably have some track traps right around your house. If you've got flower beds, you've got bushes or whatever, you've got a track trap running around your house. You can see whether someone's coming up, casing your house, or whether one of your kids is jumping out of the window and going somewhere else in the middle of the night. So, I mean, there's there's plenty of things you can use besides, you know, uh, just it being a military or law enforcement skill. Even self-recovery, I've, I've read instances where guys have gone out running in, out in the desert, lost their way, and just sat there for several days. And to me, I'm thinking, you know, well, why didn't he just track himself back to, back to his car? I mean, to me, it's just obvious. But, right. you know, it, it's, a, right. It's, it's a self-reliant skill. That's what it is. I mean, it really comes, it's, it, you know, its origins come from hunting. I mean, that's what we did, right? In order to hunt larger animals to feed our tribe, to, you know, feed our people. Uh, you know, we had to, we had to hunt larger animals, got larger, you know, more protein, right? Uh, we fended off our tribes from competing tribes who were hunting other animals on our, you know, on our tribal lands or whatever. I mean, our forefathers did this, you know? So, I mean, the tracking thing is just something that went hand in hand with hunting. And no matter how you look at it, you know, you are hunting for something. You're hunting for answers. You're hunting for some kid who's lost, or maybe you're hunting some enemy out there who's trying to kill you. So either way, you're hunting. That's what it is. 
Right, and and if you are not law enforcement or military, and you are, say, in the, the prepping uh, uh, areas, then this uh, having the, the skills for tracking is is really is something that it's going to be hard for you to get along without. Because, like John was saying, you know the the skills developed from from hunting. And whether you're hunting field rats, uh, the buffalo, uh, in order for you to be successful, you're going to have to, unless you're just plain lucky, you're going to have to to have some kind of an indication, some kind of a grip on what your prey is doing. And uh, for me, uh, you know, I think one of the things that you can do if you uh, – if you're in a certain area and you want to try and figure out what kind of game is there or what they're doing or when they're going through there, you know, you can go to the to the game trails that you have and you can uh, take a rake or something and smooth out the, uh, the trail so it's nice and clean and clear. And then you can check it periodically to see what time the animal prints uh, arrive there and and which way that they're going at that time of day on and on so that you can develop a picture of where you need to be in order to, to harvest that animal or where you need to put up a, uh, uh, a snare uh, you know, or a trap in order that you can harvest that animal. And that's all going to come through your ability to uh, identify and interpret signs. Oh yeah, I totally, I I totally agree with everything you're saying. I mean, and that's the thing we haven't even talked about, like a survival mode. You know, I mean, the same thing, the same thing goes if you're, uh, you know, you're having to fend off in the land, you know, and you're having to to hunt your own food. You know, you have to be able to profile the animals in the area to figure out what their habits are in order to hunt them. So yeah, you're right. Yeah, and. Uh... And that, when you, the one that you mentioned was a guy who walked off from his vehicle and got lost, and I was thinking that, I was thinking the exact same thing. It's like, you know, it's not like you could, no matter how where you are, unless, uh, unless a tornado picked you up and flung you, you know, a quarter mile away, no matter where you are, you're at the end of your trail. So if you had even rudimentary skills, you should be able to, to turn around and go back down your trail, you know, without too much, without too much uh, skill, oh, yeah. you should be able to to go back down your trail. Now, but I'll talk about that for a second because that's another thing that folks uh, have seen in the movies, and that is uh, if you want to throw somebody off your trail, get you a branch with some leaves on it and just swish it back and forth in your trail and it makes you invisible, and they can't follow you then. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, it doesn't work yeah. too good, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. I mean, you know, that's the thing. You know, and it's uh, it's it's funny. I could go on and on about this, but, I mean, because uh, I, I get, you know, when I was in the service, a lot of, a lot of the things with, that we were doing was always counter-tracking, counter-tracking, but nobody wanted to learn how to track. So you're kind of putting the, the cart before the horse because you have to know what the tracker's going to do so that you can counteract them. So, yeah, a lot of things that people do or, or what's taught out there actually 
is a big indicator that they are trying to throw, <clears throat> throw you off, whether it be rubbing out their sign. Uh, now, the things that they – it conceals numbers. It conceals numbers of people. But right. uh, you can get a general idea just be, of the amount of disturbance that's been made, how many people went through an area, even after they've left the road or crossed the road. Uh, but, yeah, there's a lot of different ways that people will, will try to think that they're going to mess up a tractor. But uh, if the guy is really on it, because here's the thing about a tractor, right? He just doesn't follow footsteps, okay? He doesn't follow footsteps. He is building a story, and he starts at the beginning of the story, and every, every step is a word that he is, he is putting together to build a story of who the quarry is, where the quarry is going, uh, you know, who is he, is he injured, is he... You know, is he not? Is he running? Is he walking? You know, what is it? What is he? So, I mean, the tracker is always going to be able, a good tracker is always going to be able to discern whether or not somebody's even trying to fool him. You know, just because right. as soon as he sees a couple of indicators where he's either skip tracking or trying to walk backwards or trying to brush out his tracks or anything like that, he's going to know that this guy now knows that he he's possibly knows that he's being followed. Now he needs to take other steps in order to, uh, in order to, you know, either capture, kill him, or whatever. So I mean, you know, it's most right. of those you things are the, haphazard anyway, because those guys are well, the, pressure being being placed upon them, and they're starting to do things that they probably shouldn't do. And and they're really what they're doing is they're signposting themselves even even more. Right. Right, and the 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 same thing with the uh, the folks that uh, are walking backwards. Or you see them say, "Okay, we got to hurry up. We got to get in the stream. We'll walk in the stream. That way, we don't leave any tracks." Mm-hmm. And uh, there's other things behind though. Right, because there yeah. there every single thing you do leaves a sign. Now, whether it can be read or not is a different story, but every single thing you do makes some type of disturbance, makes make some type of of sign. Uh, and well, like I said, maybe, maybe it would take somebody with a, a really good eye doing it for a while to see it, but, but there's really nothing that you can do that's not going to leave some type of sign. And I know it's probably... Uh, it's probably well. I say it might be easier to to fool a visual tracker than a scent tracker, but I guess it's really either one can be done. I know that uh, there were several times that my the uh, uh, LERP unit, the Long Range Reconnaissance Patrol unit that I was in, that we ended up working on uh, uh, on FTXs with uh, dog handlers and. Mm-hmm. They would put the dogs on us, and uh, and they also had visual trackers on us. Now, I don't know if it was just luck or uh, or circumstances, but there were two times when the dogs got close enough to us that I could see them, and I was thinking, that's it, we're done. There's no way. If I could see the dogs, then the whatever scent I left out there has got to be like, you know, roaring in the dog's nose. But mm-hmm. for some reason, 
the dog didn't catch it. Now, we weren't so lucky with the visual guy. The visual guy found us, uh, the visual tracker. He found us. That's the thing. You know, you kind of touched on something there, too. It's like, uh, you know, dogs have are just like humans. A lot of A lot of people put a lot of trust into a dog. But really, you know, if if tracking units used both of those capabilities together, they'd have a pretty formidable formidable, uh, option there. I mean, mean, a dog has a better scent capability than we do. But on the other hand, a human can look at physical evidence and he he can analyze it. He can interpret it. A dog can't do that. So... You know, and, and that's the thing with right. handlers. Handlers, they, they look at the dog and they look at the, the indicators that the dog, you know, makes and they tells them whether or not the dog is on, on the scent or not on the scent. Well, the thing is, is that they were, tr- you know, visually trained to track as well. They could actually determine whether their dog is actually on the scent as well or not just by watching the indicators on the ground. So Right, and the dogs, like you said, since they're not – since they're not humans and they can't talk, you know, they, you right. you can't hear them say, they're not going to turn to you and say, you know what, I've been tracking for a little while, but I'm really kind of uh, tired of this, so I'm just going to kind of goof around and act like I'm tracking, because you guys can't tell the oh, difference yeah. anyway. Well, I mean, you know, you know, they'll go to water, they'll go to food, they'll go to whatever. I mean, it's, you know, they can have a bad day, you know, just the way it is. Right. Right, and we never, we saw the dog come up on us twice because, they were pretty methodical, and it was just a kind of a different kind of tracking. And But like I said, both times, I said, okay, this is it. I said, we're not going to get away from them. So I put the guys into position for an ambush, you know, for a hazy ambush. And then we're just going to have to we're gonna have to ambush them and take our licks because, uh, you know, with, uh, with alert team, there's only five of you. So you know you right. always do your best not not ever to never to fire your rifle, never to leave any kind of sign, and of course it's always drilled into your head that if anybody ever knows if anybody ever knows you've been there, then your whole mission was you know for naught. So we always try to leave as little as sign, make no make, you know make no marks, whatever. And certainly if you you know if you have to get into a firefight, then you've kind of really blown the whole thing too because you're working under the premise that that. The only way the information is going to be any good is if nobody knows that you have it. If they know that you've been in there looking, then, of course, you know, the premise is that they'll change it. But we just figured that we're going to have to ambush the folks because they were right there. They were, you know, within 100 yards, so we set up an ambush. And that's really one of the first times that, uh, that I ended up talking to you several months ago was uh, because of that. My question was, how do you... You know, I was thinking as a tracker, as a visual tracker, uh, you know, how would you how would you keep from from tracking yourself face down into an ambush? Because obviously, if you mm-hmm. you know, as the as the quarry, once I noticed, once I knew somebody was on my trail, and I knew that I wasn't going to shake them, then you know, the only obvious uh, you know reply was I was going to have to take them out. I was going to have to ambush them and kill them. But so that's that's when I first talked to you about it. Was I said, how do you how how is a tracker you going to have to keep from doing that? And that's where tracking as a team effort. Uh, you or you explained that to me about tracking as a team effort. 
Oh yeah, yeah. It's I mean it's an operation. You know, I mean a, a team or see I, I use squads, okay? Because a squad is the small, smallest maneuver element on the ground, fighting element. Right. Okay. A team, you know, four or five guys. You get a couple of guys hit. That's it. You're done. You're combat ineffective. You know. Now you get nine guys out there, nine to thirteen, depending on if you're talking about an army squad or a marine squad. That's pretty formidable. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the and the reality is is, uh, you know, all these guys can say whatever they want. The fact is is you're not going to be able to age sign to minutes before you are you are basically walking up on somebody. It's just not possible. You'll have a time bracket. You'll know that it's fresh. But you should also be analyzing not only the track line, but the terrain that you're moving through. If you're moving through terrain, all of a sudden you start uh, becoming channelized, you should be asking yourself, why are, you, why are you being channelized? Why are they moving through there? Or if all of a sudden you pop up into some high ground, you should be asking yourself, especially since the guy's been staying in the wood line the whole time, why did he pop up all of a sudden into this area? Because he's probably going to hit you. So then, you know, you get out of your tracking formation. You can still be on the track line, but now you're moving into a formation where you're, you know, you're bonding. You're bonding into contact, you know, and that's how you got you got to, you have to do it. You can't, um, a lot of other tracking schools, and even when I was in the teaching at combat tracker course, there was a serious gap in the way that, that, that stuff was being taught because tracking is a vehicle to get you, wherever you're going, whether it be reconnaissance or combat or whatever. But after a certain point, those same principles that we learned in the military to make contact, we still do that sort of thing because those things will keep you alive. Um, so you might have to change your formations from a V formation where you have flankers out there who are basically the tracker security guys, the tracker and cover man security guys, uh, into a wedge because you're getting ready to make contact. And then you have another team move off to your flank where you're doing bounding overwatch. So, I mean, you know, just because the situation dictates that, you know, hey, you're probably going to make, you're probably going to make contact. And if you read a lot of these stories, even like you mentioned, like South Africa and Rhodesia, a lot of these guys ran into their enemy. They did get ambushed. They did get hit. So, but the thing was, is they were, they never transitioned from a tracking mode into a combat formation mode. And I think that is why, you know, some of those guys suffer the casualties they did. So. Well, I can tell you from the other side, being on the other side, being on the quarry side, mm-hmm. that uh, it completely degraded uh, our ability by at least by 50% uh, almost the entire time on our mission because normally, uh, you know, we're – you know, as a uh, uh, as a reconnaissance unit, you know you're you're moving very stealthily, but at a mm-hmm. you know at a pretty determined pace. But then you know you're having you're you're stopping either to take uh, measurements of facilities, or you're gathering soil samples, or taking photographs, on and on, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, whenever you whenever we're working with just uh, having our opponents being uh, regular infantry guys, the only thing you had to do was make sure you weren't running into them or that, you know, that you weren't on a collision course with them or whatever. And most of the time we're usually working at night anyway because that's the only time you can, you had a better chance of not being seen. And this is pre-night vision stuff. But once we came under, once we had the information 
that we were being followed by visual and scent trackers, it completely degraded our abilities because we were spending half of the time, half of our available time, worrying about being tracked. And uh, and it would cause me to alter our routes of travel and stuff because I was constantly trying to get into a position where I could see my back trail, you know, like from elevation or things like that, so I could mm-hmm. try and see, this, you know, who was following me, how close they were. Uh, we took a lot less time on doing our mission of uh, – doing any measurements or samples because we were always, you know, either under the real or perceived uh, threat that that they were closing on us. And uh, right. so uh, to me, that, that value, just the, just the threat of trackers working in an area, it seemed like would be, uh, would be a very, uh, uh, would be a major force enhancement as far as, uh, you know, if the, the people working in that area knew that they were going to be, uh, that they're going to be running into trackers, which means that anywhere they left, there was going to be a trail, a little thread that they left that somebody was going to follow right up to them, track them to the ground, find, fix, and finish them, uh, that, that would certainly be, uh, you know, well worth its money. And see, you're, you know, you're describing exactly what a tracker's job is. He is, a, he is putting so much pressure upon you that you are going to either, it's fight or flight. You know, that's really what it is. Uh, and if you, start, if you start moving quickly away from him, you're going to make more signs. You know, so, I mean, some of the things you're talking about, they made, they made your life very difficult, your operation, because they were applying pressure on you. And then they forced you to a point where either it was fight or flight, right? That's exactly what you're right. just described. <laughs> Exactly, and and you know normally even things like uh, uh, like re, you know reporting information in in a timely fashion, even that would be uh, you know at times inhibited because well, I guess this was you know back in the old days when we were having to use uh, code bursters and stuff to transmit our information, and even then normally what I'd do is I'd take a uh, the RTA with me, put the formation up. Three guys would, would would head on on the original track. I would leave with the RTO, go off the trail for about a kilometer or more so that uh, so that my transmissions, and I always assumed that they were going to be at least, uh, at least detected, that it would come from somewhere else. <laughs> and I started getting, that's why I feeling the pressure where I couldn't, I didn't want to take the time to go and make a report unless something very, uh, very important because I was afraid I didn't have that time. I didn't have the time to make a report. So I felt that uh, I felt that the overall our ability to do our to perform our mission was was very degraded just by the knowledge that we were that we were going to be trapped. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a psychological factor. I mean, that's exactly what it is. It's you know it's it you know it uh. I'll tell you a story. When I was down in Arizona, uh, I was getting tracked by a bunch of rangers. And these guys, I, there was no way I was going to outrun them. No way at all. And it's uh, just because they were probably 10 to 15 years, well, probably more like 15, 15 or more years younger than I was. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. 
So, and it, I had a couple hours head start. They'd already got a couple of the other instructors before 12 o'clock noon. We already had, we had like an hour, maybe two hours head start. Um, and I remember going up this mountain and I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know, I'm not going to be able to out, outrun these guys. And right at that moment, a couple of deer passed over the trail. And as they passed over the trail, I noticed these boulders. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go off. The, I'm going to go off the side of this mountain, and that's exactly what I did. I hop, I hop, skip those boulders, and then off the side of the mountain. And they they had so much pressure on me. I thought all the way down that they were still following me. I I could hear them coming down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was crazy. And you know, I got down to the bottom, and I was wore out. And then all of a sudden, they they came across the radio, and they said, hey, they. They went into lost their lost track trail, and I was like, okay, good. So, you know, I stumped them up there, but within 15 minutes, they were back on my trail again. They found where I went off the they went off the uh, side of the mountain, down the cliff, or down into the uh, the uh, uh, canyon, and they continued to follow me. You know, and uh, it was about 5:30, 6 o'clock by the time they got back to the vehicles after the training was concluded. And, uh, you know, they were kind of apologetic. They were like, you know, they're apologizing for not being able to, you know, catch me. And I was like, you know, that's not, that wasn't the, that wasn't the intent of this course. The intent of this course is for you to track. I say, even if you caught me, you were still going to track till the end of the day. That's the bottom line. And they did a great job. They were all apologetic, but it was like, you guys did great, you know, because I flipped them, you know, for a little loop there and they were able to, to distinguish what happened and, and pick up my trail again and get back on me. And within a relatively short amount of time. So you know, that's just shows so the, you what they the, can do. The, the, the ranger units have always been, uh, they've always been some of the sharpest. I mean, when I worked at the JOTC uh, uh, in Panama, the mm-hmm. ranger units were usually the, they were the fastest, sharpest units, you know, and whenever they were on you, they were on you. The only, oh, they were, the only people yeah, that were faster yeah. were, the, were some of the Marines, but the Marines, and, and I don't want to make any of the Marines mad, but, but the Marines, uh, at least the particular units I was working with, were more interested in, like, setting or breaking records uh, than they were in catching me. So that was my only, that was my only escape point was they were, they were more interested in, in their speed and breaking records than they were in actually staying on my trail and catching me. Yeah, I, I don't know. Those, I tell you what, those guys were, those guys were pretty awesome. Uh, and uh, they did a great job. But, I mean, but, you know, that just goes back to the point, you know, they're going to they're gonna pressure you into doing something that you're not, you wouldn't probably normally do, you know. And uh, at that point, you know, I, I became a little desperate. You know, because I was the quarry, and I wasn't going to get caught. <laughs> I might be older, but I'm a little smarter than that. <laughs> <laughs> right, and that's the whole. That would be the whole reason uh, to to be using uh, this these assets, uh, especially where we are now. Because if you, you know, like I like I think I was talking to you about this, and I think I was talking to to Ash Hess about this a couple of weeks ago too. And that is, if if every time 
one of the insurgents, if, if, if every time, if they knew that every time they took a shot at a column, every time they popped off an IED, that, bang, within 30 minutes there was going to be uh, a uh, two to three tracking training teams inserted and that they were going to hound them, uh, you know, down there were going to find, fix, and destroy them. They, I, I guarantee you it would change their their loop. It would affect how they're doing things because they would be much less uh, – they would be much less excited about it if they knew that there was going to be some type of, uh, I think, what they would consider almost to be supernatural forces, uh, you know, applied against them uh, than what's going on right now. Uh, I know that we have the, that we're depending on the tech stuff, uh, you know, the satellites and the drones and the gunships and on and on, but... uh, but at the end of the day, man, there's nothing that's going to work better than a bunch of guys who are determined to complete their mission. And uh, and I think that that would be a, a huge uh, wrench in the machine if we started applying that. Well, you know, I mean, you're right. I mean, when when I teach soldiers, I tell you, they they're always they always say the same thing. Why didn't I get this training? Why didn't I get this training? Because most of them are infantrymen. Their job is to close with and destroy the enemy. You know, it's just that simple. Now, if you think about this tracking capability incorporated into every platoon, where one squad per platoon has a tracking capability, the company as a whole may have three or four, depending on how many platoons they have, right? So in everyday operations that they conduct, they have a tracking team that can, that can perform those duties. Two goes on an operation, they get IED'd, right? They should be able, you know, theoretically, to be able to put a tracking team immediately onto the onto the incident, you know, and then call in more. And with that, you right. basically have a support group, the rest of that platoon, in case depending on, on the size that they're following, the size of enemy force that they're following, you know. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a great capability. We're not using it. Well, <laughs> yeah. We're not using it. We're not using it. We're depending on uh, on the tech stuff, and I, I guarantee you, the tech stuff at some point is going to fail us. And I, you know, we talked about this at the beginning of the show, but I just, I, I'm just always amazed when I, when you look back through history and you see the things that, that the minds that uh, that are in control of the military, the things that they. But they figure out, because they're so much smarter than everybody else, they figure out the things like, oh, one of my favorites was that uh, that the Phantoms, the Phantoms, they didn't need guns on their ships because uh, the days of aerial combat are, are long gone, and they didn't need the, they don't need guns to shoot at each other. And then uh, jump forward uh, like a year or two, and you see the, the poor guys there in Vietnam, they're, they're cobbling together these guns and, and and tacking them to their ships so that they can, so they have some way of shooting back at the bad guys, you know, when they're uh, when they're dogfighting. It's that same idea that uh, that no matter how far ahead that we jump in technology, no matter how smart we think we are, we're never gonna we're never gonna beat the the very basic guy on the ground unless we work in that same arena. Unless we get our minds into the same into the same way, you're never going to beat the guy on the ground except by going on the ground with the guy. 
And uh, I just don't understand why we're not using this more. And certainly you're right. Whenever uh, I was watching a show the other day about uh, the Border Patrol and how they were using it. And uh, and I think that's fantastic. I think that uh, I think that that more schools uh, for the Border Patrol folks uh, are more important right now because I got to tell you that uh, that uh, even though everybody said the days of uh, that we don't have to worry about uh, uh, you know people uh, like this the same thing that we worried about in the Cold War. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up doing the uh, uh, the nuclear blast drills. You know, getting under the desk and and hiding oh, yeah. from the uh, you know the forty kiloton blast. Uh, that uh, that those days are over, and they may be for for some type of state to state missiles. But but someday somebody is going to pop a nuke in one of our cities. And the way it's going to get there is because somebody's going to walk it across the border. And uh, and the sooner that we get folks, uh, that we have uh, a greater ability uh, to close off our border and to monitor the people that are coming in and to and to track them down, I think that I think the safer that we're going to be. And certainly. The ability, having the ability, uh, like we talked about earlier, having the ability to to read sign is something that that just about everybody can use. Now, uh, we've got uh, we've got uh, your school uh, tier group is running several classes fairly soon, right? Oh yeah, well I mean, yep. I mean, I'm doing obviously in your location uh, in February, and then also in Arizona in February. So up in Mesa. So yeah, All right. and, I, and then really, I've got classes pretty much booked for the for the whole year, you know. And then I'm going to do, be doing some smaller ones uh, here in Louisiana as well. So yeah, it's going to be busy. I think uh, it, it's going to. You know, I think a lot of people are starting to realize uh, the value of this skill. Unfortunately, I don't think it's so much uh, the military. It's, it's more or less, you know, the everyday civilian who's, you know, looking at things in the future and and obviously wants to be trained. Um, you know, you, hey, the reality is this. You know, you can go to all these uh, shooting schools and stuff like that, but if you don't have the tactics to go along with them, you know, it really it's not going to help you that much. So you've got to balance it out between, you know, uh, shooting, um, survival, because, you know, it, it's, and having good strategies, you know. So right. That's what's and that's one of the ways I've been telling folks about the upcoming classes with you. And you're, you're going to be in Central Texas with us at Battle Road USA, uh, yep. February 12th to the 16th. It's a five-day course. And uh, to get more information about the course or to sign up, you can go to the uh, tier group website, which is uh, com, and go to the uh, upcoming courses tab. Click on that, and that will take you to the uh, to the courses that are coming up. 
And also, John is, uh, he's uh, more than willing to work with uh, folks. Uh, if you want a course, um, he'll be glad to set it up for you. He's got uh, courses uh, that are running on a regular basis there in his home uh, range there in Louisiana. And uh, and that's how he's coming to Central Texas is I contacted him and asked if he would come and run a course here, and he's, that's what he's going to do. So if you'd like the same thing to happen for you and your guys, then you can contact him. I'm sure he'll be willing to go just about anywhere. He's been just about everywhere except Iraq, but he'll be willing to yeah. go just about anywhere to uh, <laughs> to uh, set up a class. He's coming to Central Texas. Right after that, he'll be in Arizona, and uh, I'm sure he'll be willing to go hey. just about anywhere to, to set up a course. Yeah, you mentioned um, Ash Hess. You know, I'm I'm actually working with him to get a course up there in uh, New York. So we're getting ready to do one up there too, as well. So, yeah, I'll take it pretty much anywhere. You know. Wow. Who wants to learn? I mean, well, that's I've great. What is the New York? What is the New York course? It's the same thing. Five day program. No, I mean, w- when is it? Uh, let me see here. Uh, I think we have that for July. Yeah, 24th to 28th of July. Well, I may be in New York in July uh, already as it is. I may be able to try and and dash up to that one, too, for a refresher. Yeah, and then, uh, like, early July, we got one in in New Mexico. Uh, August, we're looking at, again, in Texas. Uh, September, we're going to... We're going to have actually, we're actually running courses for the uh, Louisiana Wildlife and Fisheries, and those are open to the public as well. Those are ten-day programs, though. Right, and you run courses all the way from two days to ten days or more, depending on what your clients need or what they want, because you can set up courses for specifically for them. And uh, John was telling me that he has. that if you look on the website, you can see that uh, that the information on there will say that uh, things like uh, be ready to do four to twelve miles a day with your gear and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, he sets he sets the course uh, the course to the students. So don't don't think that uh, this is going to be some kind of a basic training thing because he's not trying to uh, he's not trying to run you through some kind of a Q course. He's just trying to give you the skills, and sometimes uh, sometimes the skills take uh, five or six miles of walking for you to get, and sometimes they take one mile. Uh, so don't get excited you know about really being four to 12 miles. It really just depends on the client because I've had guys, literally, I've had guys come down for a two-day two day class, and I've put 26 miles on in a weekend. And then I've done, you know, eight miles in a weekend, with a different, you know, with a different group of people. So it really just all depends on your capability. We're not going to track faster than your capability. That's the bottom line. And you're there to learn. So, right. And we're going to operate. And you had, we uh, typically you operate had, uh, out of. Go ahead. I was just going to say that you had recently you had the a group come through uh, uh, working with the wounded warriors, and of course sure a lot did, of those yeah. guys weren't going to be able to do ten miles in a day. And yet nope. they still receive a great uh, a great training event with you. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, even the last class, we had a three-day program in December, and, and one of the uh, guys uh, had was um, had a prosthetic, and I think we put in probably close to 20 miles on that three-day class. And, uh, you know, but again, we go according to the, you know, the student and his capabilities. So, uh, and it's, it's one of these things, too, that we run the class basically out of a base camp, so we return back to the base camp and, uh, you know, we still conduct training even though it gets nighttime. It's just around the campfire. So. And listen, guys, don't discount. Don't discount campfire instruction because uh, I'll tell you right now that I, I've learned uh, a great deal of stuff around a campfire that uh, probably would never have made it into any classroom. So. Uh, I always, uh, whenever we're running courses and stuff that uh, that has uh, camping or overnight stuff, I always uh, try and encourage folks to camp out and uh, sit with us around the campfire because there's a lot of information that gets uh, casually disseminated around the campfire, uh, sometimes uh, with uh, lubricate, lubricated lips that... Uh, <laughs> that allows you to learn a lot more than you thought you were going to learn. I, I totally agree. I mean, it's, you know, that the other thing is too, is it provides us an opportunity to go over things for the next day that, that maybe uh, we don't necessarily have to do in the daytime, you know, whether it be terminology, hand and arm signals, whatever, you know, even camouflage and concealment. I mean, that's part of, you know, that's part of tracking as well. So, uh, there's a lot of other skills that are matched up in here. You're just not going to get a five-day program on just tracking because really what, what we're doing is we're patrolling. And in order to patrol, you know, you have to know other things as well. Tracking is incorporated into it. So, and you are working with a team, so you have to know how to work with a team. There's a lot of things going on there. The other day, uh, I was tracking a group of wild hogs. Uh, now, at first, visually, you know, I saw them take off, and I, I, uh, it was a large group. And I said, okay, here's my best bet of where they're going to go to, and I raced ahead to where they were, got to it, but they they were just leaving that area. So I jumped back in the vehicle, raced ahead like another half mile, got to where they where I thought they would come out, and they weren't there, and they hadn't come that way. So I started going backwards trying to find them. Anyway, to make a long story a little bit shorter, I, I – I did find them, but they escaped from me again because they moved a lot quieter than I thought they were going to move. Uh, they moved almost like ghosts. So I'm walking back to my vehicle, and and I'm walking down game trails because I'm in the woods, and I'm walking down the game trails. But the game trails don't always go in the direction I want to go. So I'm walking down the game trails until they veer away from where I want to go. And then... And then I go until I hit another one, and I saw that one until it uh, veered away from where I wanted to go. My point on that was is that I decided to stop and try and backtrack myself, and I realized, I said, you know, if, if I took the point where I left the trail and I shot that, the azimuth on the, on the point that I left the trail, and I did. I went and took the azimuth for each time I left the trail, and it gave me uh, a fairly consistent 
direction that I was able to, if I were tracking myself, I'd be able to know that this is the direction that I'm going to, that, that I'm heading. If I were following me and I took and I kept a record of the times that I left the trail and what direction I went when I left the trail, then I would know what what the cardinal direction I was going to be moving on was. And I just thought that was a, that was just another realization that that I got from following myself. Oh yeah, yeah. I, there, you know, one of the uh, one of the guys from uh, Wounded Warrior Project, he he does a lot of hog hunting, and he's used this tracking skill uh, to quite effect. He is slaying some serious hogs down there in Texas. <laughs> he lets me know about it quite often. <laughs> well, I just thought it was interesting that uh, you know I was staying on the trails as long as they were going. They didn't have to be going in the perfect direction, just as long as they were going in a general direction. But the minute that they started to arc away pretty good, then I would leave the trail. So that just tells me if I was following somebody and and they kept doing that, I'd be able to, I should be able to take, uh, you know, a reading on where they were leaving the trail and what direction they they were heading when they left the trail to give me kind of an indication on what direction that they were they were going to be trying to head into. And then I could look ahead on the map and maybe yep. try and uh, try and ascertain uh, areas that they would have to go through, like uh, uh, like uh, you know a place that uh, can, a river can only be crossed in a certain area. You know, if I knew if they were heading to a certain area, then I could I could race ahead to get there ahead of them, or I could or I could at least uh, I could at least go faster. By saying, okay, they're going to be staying on this direction, I can go a little bit faster and not worry about finding every single sign, but race ahead to areas where I know there are track traps, like right. uh, like uh, there's a quarter of an acre that is almost like a bog. There's no way you can walk through it uh, without leaving a set of tracks. So I could race ahead to that if it was on the right if it was on the right direction race ahead to that and quickly look for some tracks and find if they were there and then race ahead to the next track, trap, etc. Uh, if I knew the general direction they were going to be following. You know, and see, that's what you're talking about is, you know, what African tribesmen do is called persistence hunting. And that's, that's kind of what we do for combat tracking, only we use multiple teams to do it. So you'll have a team that may be on that track line of that quarry, but then ascertaining the direction of travel, looking at the map, looking where possible lines where uh, they can cross, roads, streams, you know, intersections, large fields, whatever, you can bump teams up there just doing what you're doing, you're talking about, you know, basically leapfrogging. And in that case, you cut down the time distance gap between your quarry and yourselves. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's, a, great, it's a great technique. Right, and you, you posted the other day a... Uh some information about uh, a uh, a tracking card that your group was using so that uh, you could make it even faster so that you could look at a specific set of prints and say, okay, the closest to this print is going to be, say, uh, Delta 3, and that's going to right. be the track that I'm looking for. And you could, uh, you could then radio ahead to... Uh, the second or third team tracking team, 
and say, look, uh, we're looking for Delta 3. Do you see it there? And if they could recognize that track, then you could say, all right, then that's, where, that's who we're going after right there. And use that ability, like you said, to, to close the distance faster so that you're not, you're not having to, to go uh, only three feet at a time, that uh, you can try and race ahead and close the distance to find, fix, and finish your quarry. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, you, you know, the card, too, is, is just to give you, because the card has uh, several lines, and then you have an ABC, one, two, three type thing where uh, it's a cross-reference chart, and then you have specific types of soul patterns inside there. So D1 would obviously be one type of soul pattern, D2 would be another, and so on and so forth. And that information is gained by working in the operational area over a period of time and seeing common footwear patterns. So you build yourself a, basically a cheater card. And then, yes, you, know, you, you would use that to inform other teams that are working out in that area that are possibly cutting for sign along that direction of travel, uh, you know, what you're looking for. But then you also have to give them the measurements so that they can take measurements of it and make sure that that is the right person that, that you're following. So, it, you know, it's, it's a little bit more than just the, the print itself. It's, there's other things involved in it as well. So, but right. yeah, you're right. That's, that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to break that time distance gap, get, you know, and uh, close with our, our enemy, five, six, and finish. That, that's exactly it. Well, we're here at the very end of the show, and uh, I really want to thank you for taking – the time out this evening away from your your family and uh, and from the bio rum and uh, <laughs> and and coming on the show I, I give I given John a hard time he's not an alcoholic I just give him a hard time about the bio rum because because uh, uh, he mentioned it the other day and now I'm dying to uh, I'm dying to try it he's going to bring me a bottle yeah. bring me a bottle when he shows up. I, I appreciate you taking the time out from your family during the holidays here and coming on the show. And I'd like to uh, I'd like to tell folks that if you'd like to take some courses with John, uh, you can go to uh, www.tiergroupllc.com and find his website there. He's got his book, Combat uh, Tracking Guide, and uh, and we'll have the courses here in February in Central Texas. February 12th to the 16th, and we'd love to have you guys uh, here with us. John, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. And uh, well, thank you, thank you for inviting me. And, I really appreciate and, it, and uh, I had a great time. Well, thanks, and I'd like for you to come back on uh, again in a couple of months, if you wouldn't mind. Sure, no problem. Yeah, no problem. Uh, and and right. by the way, uh, we also have a Facebook page. Uh, they, you know, I'll, I'll post. Uh, I'll post things on there that maybe, you know, we were, we're doing out in, the, in our classes or some teaching points or stuff like that. So if, if guys, you know, uh, want to see a little bit more of what we're about, you can come on Facebook and see our uh, tier group page and, and just check us out. All right. Thank you so much, John. I hope you had a happy new year. Tell, uh, tell the rest of the family I said, Hey, and, uh, and we'll see you in just a few weeks. Okay, thank you very much. You have a good evening. All right. And we'll see the rest of you guys uh, this next Thursday, 7 p.m. Central. Stay out. Thank you.
Dragging who we meet and call this liberty. 